and welcome to yet another episode of the Hermeneutics Podcast, the program dedicated to the art and science of biblical interpretation. On today's episode, part two of my conversation with pastors Matt McPhillips and Kyle Floyd of Grace Life Baptist Church in Port Huron, Michigan. I've invited Matt and Kyle to join me on today's podcast to discuss what I refer to as an old path hermeneutic that is prevalent within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Now, I want to be careful and very clear here. Not everyone in the IFB movement utilizes the old path hermeneutic. There are indeed faithful interpreters and expositors within independent fundamentalism. However, far too often it is the old path hermeneutic which is platformed and championed in major IFB circles such as the Sword of the Lord. This old path hermeneutic tends to ignore what God is actually saying in His revealed Word, which is subtly supplanted with the traditions of men. Now, with that by way of introduction, let's get back to the conversation. Just as a as an aside, I, I remember just just a year ago um, hearing a sermon and uh, from the the guy that's on the front of the Lord, sort of the Lord paper, and um, <clears throat> actually he called me up. I was I was critiquing him up, and he uh, I, I call I, I critiqued him, and he called me uh, wanting to talk about it. And the text that he was using was, um, I'll say it here, he, it's from Luke chapter 22, and Jesus is going up to pray on the Mount of Olives. And uh, when he came to the place, he said to them, uh, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he, meaning Jesus, withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed. And what ensued was a sermon in which he critiqued the disciples for not continuing with Jesus that stone's throw, that stone's throw and being in prayer with him. Uh, and from that text in Luke, that hole is there, I suppose, that gap is there that you can insert this idea that maybe the disciples should have gone. But when you look at Matthew and Mark, both examples show Jesus specifically saying, uh, and going a little, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. And he says this to the disciples, remain here and watch. So actually the disciples were actually obeying God, obeying Christ's command and staying put and allowing him to go further. I point this out to him on the phone. He said, well, couldn't it be possible that Jesus was testing them that, that Jesus was giving them an opportunity of, of, of uh, defying what he said, and the, the greater thing would have been to follow him into prayer. Isn't it theoretically possible, I think was the idea. And I said, theoretically, I mean, sh- maybe, but when you have the clear text of Scripture saying to do this, and they do it, I don't think you can, you, you can go past what is very clear to to teach and preach what is very theoretical. Um, and so pushing you back a little bit about, uh, uh, yeah, okay, I would agree that says most of them don't do it intentionally, but I think there are some that do, and they know it. The points of his sermon were probably very good about the importance of staying close to Jesus in your Christian life. Yes. So who cares about the text? And that's, yeah. that's, that's what I made earlier is if you, if you ignored the text and just listened to his talk, there's probably some good warnings and points 
I think that comes back. Maybe we should back up even further, though. There has to be discussion on the sufficiency of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And again, though, they're way from the Bible as the last bastion of Bible believers. So he says, theoretically, well, I'm not supposed to go to my Bible theoretically thinking of a better way or what might have been there. I have the clear words of Scripture, and they need to be sufficient, and they're my bookends that keep me, the preacher, under submission, under God's authority. Within that movement, the preacher, you can go on a whole other tangent on touch not God's anointed, the preacher, the man of God, you know, which I think leads into the dangers of this. Um, but his his word is, he's he's... They're almost speaking like the Pope. Actually, when they speak, that is inspired word, and you're not to question it. Um, and so I think sufficient, I know this, if you are if you are transitioning out of that world, you are going to have to do some detailed teaching to your church on the sufficiency of Scripture. Is it sufficient? <clears throat> is it sufficient? Um, because, you know, when I, when I switched to doing verse-by-verse teaching, I remember someone coming to me and says, you know, you haven't, we were going through Matthew. You haven't really said anything about the family. We need a good sermon on the family. I'm like, maybe the Sermon on the Mount would be a good one. We just went through it. But it didn't say family in there. Yeah, but it talks about <laughs> behaviors and kindness, and maybe that would be good for your family. So it, it, they're, they're just, there's, it's hard because if you were to try and tell them, you're some of the most Bible abusing people out there. They would just be like floored by that statement. Mm-hmm. But when you take verses out of context or you read in the verse what you want, you're basically asserting your authority over God, yeah. stating the church is in trouble today. These things need to be addressed. I think the scripture is lacking in these issues. So I'm going to read it into the text to help it out. They, yeah. they really are usurping the authority of God. Yeah, and again, we want to echo that this, this is not everybody in what no. is known as the IFB movement. And I think me and you have had conversations, I'm sorry, you and I, grammatically correct, have had conversations uh, where we've discussed our appreciation to growing up in, in, some, in some ways in the areas that we, that we grew up in. And it's very important not to lump all of them together and throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, uh, because there is many people, many pastors even, in the IFB to this day that that I would have no problem sitting under um, because they handle the text of scripture with respect. It, it's uh, very, you can't define the IFB in a general sense. Right. That, that would be fair to everyone in it. Um, I, I can remember, you know, and again, I mentioned this, this was kind of, as I'm in this particular brand, there's always that foundational stuff that I had though, textually, that kept me from too many crazy sermons. I can remember my wife looking at me saying, I'm, I'm getting nothing. I'm starving to death here. This is, this is ludicrous. This is not at all um, what she grew up under. And so we would be closet John MacArthur listeners or something. So we could get some really good teaching. The problem is when you, and I'm jumping ahead of some of my notes here, but when you, go down the path of true expositional preaching and teaching in your life, you can't be satisfied with the other stuff. Yeah. I mean, us, us pulling out of that camp, that movement wasn't a deliberate, it wasn't like we say here one day, all right, we're moving it. 
it was just a natural progression because it was so we would take our teenagers to teen conferences and my kids are turning around looking at me with their MacArthur study Bible saying, dad, that, that text doesn't mean that, or Hey, pastor, what he's using there has nothing to do with whatever. I mean, I knew we just, we, out of respect um, for them too, because I didn't want to be a mocker that I had, we had to pull away from it because, you know, we're, we're raising kids and teenagers. And, um, you know, I think another thing that might, dovetail with it you know we're talking hermeneutics you know interpretation yeah the hard part is they don't have a consistent hermeneutic that they're that they're consistent to in the interpretation so if i was to go to a reformed guy a presbyterian i kind of know the hermeneutic he's going to read throughout the scripture you know um a, a you know a, a a dispensationalist i know the hermeneutic he's going to kind of consistently read throughout the scripture in this world that we're in that they would contradict themselves in the same, they would violate their own hermeneutic in their own, in their same sermon. So it's, it's very hard to, you know, we're talking about a, a system of interpretation. I, I guess the best way to find the, their system of interpretation was uh, that'll preach. And it's the old time ways. Um, it's hard to say what's guiding them in that, in that process. But I think the thing that kind of dovetails it systematic theology is an issue because many of them have not had systematic theology. In fact, they mock it a lot of times. Well, systematic is a system. It put, you know, the Bible is, this isn't 66 different revelations with thousands of different thoughts. This is a, a connected, uniformed revelation from God that needs to be interpreted that way. And they have no basis. They have no thought process behind that that would do that. Kyle, yeah. yeah, I was just going to say in a lot of ways, in, in the worst of examples, in the extreme, uh, in a lot of ways, it's a return to an allegorical type interpretation of scripture. You know, just pulling out random details that the author never intended to mean what they're saying it means. Yeah. And, you know, the, the limits, there are no limits to what you can say. If you're going to interpret the Bible that way, once you've gone to the allegorical method, it the sky's the limit. Hmm. So let's let's that's the crowd that you grew up in, and that's you, that you started preaching in. Um, what caused your your uh, for lack of a better term your awakening um, <clears throat> into using proper and sound and consistent biblical hermeneutics, and what effect did that have on you? your your doctrine and your the church that you guys both pastor uh so tell us a little about your story well to sum it up in one word i would say dissatisfaction so as i'm into this movement i i took over our church which we used to be in town and we're growing i think there's maybe 70 there my first sunday i'm having days of 300 had 550 kids on one night in vacation bible school and, and so I'm being told within this, you know, you're, you're moving up. I mean, that, that's momentum. You know, you're, you're on the right there. I'm starting to preach at some camps and college chapel and just, you know, have phone numbers of a few of these big guys. And you know, that's a big deal when you have their direct phone number to call them. And so <clears throat> this, this, this thing, this, this machine's taken off for me. Um, but then dissatisfaction started to, to enter in. Um, 
I'm having 800, 900 people profess Christ in a year, church is still mm -hmm. the same attendance. You know, I'm dealing with the same issues over and over and over with the same person on, in their Christian life. Um, so, and again, my upbringing was in a very, still conservative, but more, I would say a very biblical, orthodox, independent, you know, again, Bob Jones, Maranatha, Northland, that type of world. So I have that in the background of my mind. And there was just certain, you know, my pastor was just, just a wonderful, his wife was wonderful. You could talk to him and you didn't have to sit there and stand outside their office. And, you know, I could ride my bike on the day by the church, stop walking and talk to him or help him mow lawn. And so now I'm in this world where, you know, we would have camp meetings and they had tent where all the food was, they'd have a special tent just for certain, not all preachers, just the select ones. I mean, there was clearly this, this separation. And so, you know, I'm getting into that world. And once you get in there, they become more free. And as you had said, at the top, this is, I, I probably should correct myself, at the top, it is more deliberate what they're doing. Hmm. Okay. And so, um, yeah, I remember I was sitting there one time and it's kind of strange. I'll never forget this. They're talking about a, a church. This guy's he, he was on staff there. This isn't like third hand information. Uh, an assistant had committed an affair. And, and so, you know, they fired him. He went to be an assistant somewhere else, which is normal in that world. But there was a guy that said he was going to take it to the press and expose it. And they gave him like $30,000 to be quiet. Yeah. And, and so I'm sitting there and you say, what does this have to do with? changing my, my hermeneutic while well, I'm sitting here though like this is just not right guys this is not comments that were made um the way if you if you veered off the path that was approved they would destroy you I mean they would be on the I've had guys call me yeah brother I I I haven't shared this with anyone you're you're the only one I'm, but I think you should know and then they, you know 30 minutes about this guy's the antichrist type um, and, and then I, I clearly remember calling a, a, an evangelist. Um, are we going to talk about evangelist office now? We're not, are we? <laughs> so a well-known evangelist that you've even referenced, and I was talking to him about uh, a pastor be leading IFB church in Hammond area. And I said, this guy's saying stuff that's just not right. It's not appropriate. He, this is bad. And I remember him telling me, if we keep thumping on him, he's going to go New Evangelical while well, he's in jail today. So maybe we should have thumped on him and saved a brother. <laughs> but, but you know, we weren't allowed to do that. We had to just deal with the, the lunacy that he was preaching. So, so all that dissatisfaction is building up. And I'm frustrated. I'm beginning to hate ministry, even though the church is growing. Um, I'm being told I'm moving up the ladder. I'm getting invited to preach at times. Um, and so I took a step, honestly, it was the Lord. I went through about nine months where I was just depressed, discouraged, you name it. And I came out of that and I saw a video, it's called Revival Hymn. It's, it's black and white of just guys preaching, okay? Uh, I think Duncan Campbell, um, who's the great revival guy that Paul Walsher would talk about, I forget his name now. Leonard uh, Ravenhill. Yeah, Ravenhill, different ones. And they're talking about these these revivals in Wales and Ireland and how God just moved and 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 the subject of repentance came up, you know. And I says, you know, I always get accused of not believing in repentance, which I'd get mad at. So I did a study on repentance, regeneration, reconciliation, 
And that my whole world shattered. Okay. Because now the text is teaching me. So I'm defining things by the text. Well, I, I became a very closet John MacArthur guy. You don't want to let him know, even though I think most of them guys listen to John MacArthur. <laughs> they, just don't, they don't want to give him credit. Um, and, and I'm like, I'm going to go back to my roots of more. I'm going to be a pastor here. I need to teach and feed this church, not just give them a, a rip roaring. And I put this up. We can't dismiss the entertainment value in the way they do summer. There, there is an aspect of, when I said, they'll say, boy, that'll preach. That's entertainment. You know, Phil Kidd, if he talked the way he did in my living room to my wife, I'd punch him in the face because he does it from the pulpit. We laugh and joke about it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just to, to, to echo that, the, the evangelist that you're referring to, I went to a, a meeting that he had uh, nearby in Battle, Battle Creek, I think, Michigan. Uh -huh. And uh, by far, it was the most entertaining service I've ever been to. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 an, it's, I remember we had that gentleman in our church and, and this, this kind of happened at the same time. It was interesting. A, a older lady in our church, Joyce LeVere, sweetheart. I mean, boy, she would look at you though, give you the look and point at you. You knew you were in trouble. Grandma's coming to get you. I knew, man. And she called to me after we had him in for a week of meetings and she goes, pastor, I don't want to criticize, you know, preachers and who you have in the pulpit, but how long do you think he stands in front of a mirror and practices his act before he comes out? <laughs> And that, brother, that struck me because I'm kind of thinking about well, my members are picking that up. Like this was all an act. Mm -hmm. That's not what I grew up under. That's not the purpose of scripture. The preacher should not become the focal point of the message unless you say something dumb, which I've done before, you know, but I mean, they should, they should walk away with that text. Hey, one of the best compliments I got, a guy says, you know, I'll say this about pastor on Monday. I got a lot of stuff. I got to study in scripture. Good. Yeah. If that sermon leaves you to need to study, and that is excellent. So, you know, she made that comment to me. So this whole entertainment factor comes into it. So I'm just satisfied. I know I'm going to go back to our roots, and I, I'll never forget. I says, you know what? I'm going to preach. Well, from that, I kind of left that IFB world to a very strong Baptist. Same idea, same stuff, but we're Baptists. We hate fundamentalism that destroyed our Baptist heritage, which is true. Um, Baptist heritage is amazing. So I started studying Baptist histories. It's a great hobby. I love it. By the way, that's what, that's what started me down the path of not using the King James Bible anymore and going to ESV was Baptist history, which the landmark Baptists, and there's a few Baptist writers in our group would be shocked by that. But the Baptists referred to the King James Bible as the Anglican corruption. Hmm. I mean, that's, that's how they would refer to it at times. So I'm studying these Baptists. They're strong in doctrine, strong in theology. So the first thing I think I did is I did a series on systematic theology, doctrines in our church. So it, while it wasn't exposition, it was more topical, but I was expounding the topic in the text, just like repentance, regeneration and stuff. And then one day I decided I am going to do a verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Okay. And, and this is... You have to be humble as the Lord as you start this process to more biblical preaching hermeneutic. But I preached through Romans in 16 weeks. <laughs> that was that was my verse by verse of Romans. So I did basically a chapter a week. Uh, my my people loved it though. I mean, we're we're this is what the text says. Again, I've already I've already addressed the sufficiency of scripture. What the Bible says, the Bible says. Mm -hmm. Well, then I end up doing Ephesians, 
Well, that put me, now I'm still in that old where we rationalize everything. So I'm in Ephesians 1. I deal with predestination election. I, I spent just a few moments in a sermon. I said, let me explain the election in the Bible because it's a confusing topic. Okay. I said, and it was during one of the election years, probably one of George Bush's, W. Bush's elections, whatever. And I said, uh, now he's running for election. He wants to be elected, right? Yeah. Okay. And how does he get elected? We have to vote for him. Okay. <laughs> so the elect are people that ran for election and God voted for him and made him the elect. I mean, that, that was my interpretation because, because I, I didn't know what that text says, but I knew it couldn't mean Calvinism. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So you have these key things that it can't say. So you avoid with all possibility those things. But when you get into exp exposition, I mean, when I made this transition, I, I mean, obviously then, you know, I did James in just a short time, but I'm growing in this, learning a lot from MacArthur, other people. Um, and then I start Matthew. And Matthew took us like three years. That's where I truly, and man, it just, it changed our life, changed my life, changed my church's life, changed, um, you know, we've addressed difficult topics. I've sat here and said, I don't know. I, I don't know that I truly grasp the interpretation of this one, church. We're about to work through this. I mean, um, but the Bible, and I've had people mad, furious, walk out, and I knew they were mad. One of our fellow elder, Tim, he's not here today. Um, he he was like, ah, he would be, we thought for sure, Colin, Tim's, Tim's going to leave church. There's no way he's staying in the church. Mm -hmm. um, but he'd go home and he had this belief in the sufficiency of scripture that was settled in our lives. The Bible is sufficient. And he'd go home and look at what I was saying, pull out dictionaries, commentaries, and be like, yeah, that's what that verse says. And then he submitted to it. Mm -hmm. And, and that's the difference. And instead of me exercising authority over the text saying Jesus having a gown to his feet means women should have dresses to their feet, asserting God's authority. Now I'm going to let the authority of the scripture be the authority of my life, even when I don't even totally understand it yet or necessarily even like all of it yet, I'm going to submit to it. Um, and that transition, you know, you're, you're talking three, four years of, of growth. But once you go that route, you can't go back. If I sit and Oh man, if I hear a sermon today that's just, I mean, there's nothing there. You just walk away and it's it's just an emptiness. Mm. Um, and I believe this. Um, I think if someone's truly saved, the Holy Spirit in them hears expositional preaching and, and like just does cartwheels in their stomach, man. The Holy Spirit's like, hey, man, this is finally, this is it. This is what I'm to be illuminating in your life, the text of scripture, not the four points of old time religion. Now, Kyle, was the process about the same for you? Uh, in some ways it was because, I mean, we did have similar backgrounds. In fact, my upbringing and background has a little bit of overlap with Pastor Matt's for the case, simple case that we are in the same church and eventually he was my pastor even. so. But uh, in the church I grew up in, which is the church I now serve in, um, there was a hodgepodge of different approaches to preaching early on in my life. Uh, as Pastor Matt mentioned, the, the pastor was expositional, was very careful with the text. Um, when I was a teenager, another pastor came along and um, he was more topical and storytelling driven. Most of the sermon would have been a long, elaborate stories trying to make a point versus 
unpacking what the uh, the text uh, they, that he had us turn to was saying. And then in my late teen years, um, you know, Pastor Matt was the pastor of the church, and he's already given some examples of uh, the the nature of the preaching in the church at that time. So, um, but honestly, hermeneutics wasn't on my radar until I went to Bible college. And I hate to say it this way, probably just for the simple fact that I just didn't care um, until I was a little bit older and in Bible college. Um, but I did attend and graduate from an independent fundamental Baptist college. Uh, and I'm, I want to give them credit uh, where credit is due. Um, there's, I look back on that thought back on that time and there's, there's some irony and inconsistency with my training. And I, I don't say that to be mean, I'm just being honest, but, um, there, they saw the importance of teaching us hermeneutics. Like, as I mentioned, we, we had a hermeneutics class, although it was dispensational, uh, but they did, you know, focus on the importance of approaching the text with a hermeneutic. Uh, they saw the importance of teaching us systematic theology. Uh, we did have a systematic theology course or courses that we went through. Uh, one thing I wish that they would have done would was uh, teach the original languages, but there really wasn't a concern over that because of the um, the extreme, you know, level of King James onlyism. You you don't need the original languages to, you know, get the meaning of the text. All you need is the King James translation. That's it. And I'm not saying that someone can't get uh, the you know true doctrine and the fundamentals of the faith from just English translation alone. Um, but as a you know a place that is supposed to be training ministers. I wish that they would have would have focused on that. Um, but they did also see the importance of expositional preaching. In my homiletics class, mainly what was taught to us was uh, expositional preaching. And I remember the instructor even giving an illustration, uh, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit what he said, but he basically gave us an illustration saying, you know, it steak dinners are great. Uh, everyone likes a good steak dinner, uh, but you, you can't, eat those every day. You can't live off of that diet. And what he was referencing when he said steak dinner would have been one of those sermons that brings the house down. Like the one, the illustration we had right at the beginning, you know, I've stuck on the standards. I've stuck on the King James Bible. Uh, that type of a barn burner was a steak dinner. You know, you'd hear it at a conference it would or a camp meeting. It would get you super excited and pumped up. Um, so he said, you know, that those are great, but really what, you know, gives you nutrition and what makes you healthy is just the plain everyday meals, meat and vegetables, uh, things like that. And he likened that to expository preaching. And so he said, really, the key to building a church. And I think what he meant there was by, you know, building a solid, healthy uh, church was expositional preaching. The inconsistency there was that in that same place, much of the preaching was anything but expositional in nature. And uh, the irony, I think, over the years is that some of those things that were instilled in me back in my 20s, um, I, I, I've tried to stick to through the years and I think even carried them to their logical conclusion, whereas I, I think they've departed from it. So I, I find that a little bit ironic. But that was kind of my background and what kind of brought me into preaching ministry. So when I 
went into the ministry, how I handled the scriptures. I was a youth pastor in Indiana, and uh, I did attempt to preach expositionally early on in ministry. Now, I need to, I don't want to be misleading. I need to be honest here. Um, it was not a shining example of expositional preaching. Uh, you know, maybe I was attempting to get all of my points from the same text, uh, you know, at the very least, probably not always a concern for what was the author's original intent in saying what he said, or how was it supposed to be understood by the original hearers, the original readers and recipients. Um, but I did, you know, stick with what I was kind of taught in college. And so I tried to preach expositionally. I remember as a youth pastor, I preached through um, James. I preached through Acts. I preached through First John with my youth group, uh, although that would have been a far cry from what was being preached from the, the pulpit in the church in the main worship services. Uh, it would have been would have been some of the examples that we've shared earlier as far as just launch launch uh you know launch board type preaching and things like that but and my preaching would have been based upon a dispensational framework of the bible and arminian systematic theology at that point too and one thing that has changed from from then until now is uh i realized there were really bad examples within my camp of people as far as handling the word of god but I excused it, um, even if maybe I maybe I wasn't uh, participating in that type of abuse to that extent or or that often. Uh, I still excused it, you know, because they were in my camp or they were making good points or whatever. So uh, that's kind of what my upbringing, my background in my early ministry was before any type of transition or anything like that. Again, I'm so thankful for my upbringing because it left that somewhat of a foundation there. I, I didn't grasp it growing up what was taking place, but it gave me that desire for expositional. Expositional preaching, I mean, there's all types of technical, deep definitions. Expositional preaching is letting the authority of the text rule in your, in your preaching. Secondly, it's acknowledging that the text is one continuous flowing thought. So, so we've been working through the gospel of John. Now let's just take John, for example, chapter one through 21. There were no verse breaks, and no chapter breaks in his letter. You know, these are not standalone verses, standalone thoughts. This is, this is John. So if I wrote, you wrote, you know, brother Nahum sends us a missionary letter to update the church. And I take one sentence out of that whole letter and represent that, that that wouldn't be fair to represent his entire letter with one sentence because it's a whole thing it's all it's a it's an entire narrative so expositional preaching puts the authority of scripture back at the top secondly it acknowledges this there's a continuous thought so we're with john john's making a continue and, and john's interesting because his narratives are lengthy i mean Matthew, Luke, the very three, four verses here on the thought, then move to the next parable. John is filling in lengthy writings, but it, it would be wrong to get up and preach one verse out of John because he didn't write one verse. And it's a continuous thought that he's he's developing here. So, yeah. And this transition, I mean, we, the two of us kind of went through this transition at the same time. So especially... Yeah. 
you know, the change to reform theology and the change in hermeneutics, much of it was the same for us. We would probably say many of the same things, but it, it wasn't, it certainly wasn't overnight. I mean, it was a, it was a slow transition. It took months, even years uh, to, to develop, mature, um, become more consistent with itself. Uh, like Pastor Matt had mentioned, one of the, a couple of the things, I guess, for me that were big turning points along the way. And it really, I didn't set out to look at specific items or specific doctrines or anything like that. It's just things I encountered along the way, um, mainly because of expositional preaching that kind of forced us to grapple with things. But one of them would have been the, the issue of repentance and regeneration in our, our camp, we realized a serious deficiency in the preaching in regard to repentance and regeneration. It was a very unbiblical view. Repentance, in, in the eyes of many, repentance wasn't even necessary um, or anything like that. And the effects of regeneration were, were not uh, really highlighted either. So that was a major turning point. I, for me, at least, recognizing that, you know, when when someone's a new creation in Christ, their life changes. And uh, there were people I listened to in different camps that certainly um, recognized that and spoke to it. But my background, my, uh, you know, my my camp uh, did not. And then uh, through that, you know, going through expositional series and things, there was a focus on uh, not only regeneration, but depravity, uh, recognizing that, you know, before salvation, we live one way after salvation by the grace of God, you know, our lives change and we're no longer slaves to sin. Of course, that understanding of regeneration would, would develop more over the years too, for me. Um, and then I remember going, you know, I taught through first Peter here at Grace Life. It was either a Wednesday night series or a Sunday school series. I don't remember. Might've been a little bit of both. Um, but I taught through first Peter and of course, right out of the gate, you know, I'm thinking why on earth did I choose first Peter? I mean, the first two verses I'm dealing with the issue of election and, uh, I'm thinking, why, why did I do this? I got to deal with this like right out of the gate. And this is just an example of the fact that we bring traditions to scripture. I was an Arminian at that point and certainly taught first Peter chapter one as an Arminian. I did everything I could to make the text say what it wasn't actually saying instead of letting it say what it, it is saying. And I don't know when exactly the change took place or when the switch flipped but i remember by the time i got to first peter chapter two and i moved i moved slow through that series and through first peter one one of my weaknesses is brevity i i i can't uh i'm long-winded i know it it's it's my my weakness but by the time i got to first peter two uh i was a calvinist and uh i uh viewed election in a very different way and I remember even someone saying that was some good Calvinism that you taught. Uh, and they said that kind of sarcastically. But uh, when I 
when I taught through chapter two and they were there. And then one other series for me, at least, that was a, a major turning point was a series I taught on heaven, uh, which um, honestly was one of my favorite series I think that I've ever taught just because it's not something that even though we talk about heaven a lot in, in the, you know, as independent fundamental Baptists, we, the view of heaven is really not, not that biblical, at least not the way I was raised. Most of us think we're just going to leave this world, go to some floaty place in heaven, instead of having a view of the resurrection, like the apostles did and the new heaven and new earth. So that was a fascinating series. But one thing I realized in that, uh, was, uh, my dispensationalism couldn't hold up with what I was seeing the Bible say about, about heaven, about the eternal state. I started recognizing, recognizing things like the unity of the old Testament and new Testament and uh, the unity of God's people that there weren't, um, you know, there weren't two peoples of God, but there would be one people of God in the new heaven and new earth and things like that. So, um, that was for me at least, and a lot of that would overlap with pastor Matt, I'm sure, but that was a lot of what pushed me along in that transition to reformed theology, which in turn affects how I, uh, handle and approach the scripture now, which I can, I can speak to now, or if you want, want me to unpack that later, well, I, think one of the things I can do that too. One of the things Kyle's saying that I think is, is overriding all that is we're letting the Bible be the authority that speaks instead of us reading our tradition or our authority over the scripture. We're not trying to make the Bible fit our movement, our culture, our tradition. We're going to the text. The text is absolute in authority. The text has a narrative it's teaching. Now let's find that and then accurately teach that to our people on Sunday. Well, that is our time for today. This is part two of three episodes with pastors Matt McPhillips and Kyle Floyd on the subject of Old Paths Hermeneutics. Matt and Kyle are elders of Grace Life Baptist Church of Port Huron, Michigan. You can find more information about them and or the church at gracelifebc.com. Again, that's gracelifebc.com. They have also recently launched a podcast called Perspective which can be found on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for joining me today on the Hermeneutics Podcast. Stay tuned for the finale of Old Paths Hermeneutics coming soon.